you need to have a standard terminology and a standard language, and it's got to tie to the sales process, and it's got to be tied to the value we bring to our customers and our partners. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about the power and importance of a sales framework for scaling sales organizations and how to keep the growth going during unpredictable times. A lovely cliche phrase we're all getting way too familiar with. To help us, we have with us Robbie Traba, CRO of Zora. Robbie, thank you so much for taking time and welcome back to the show. Chad, very, very happy to be back. Thank you for having me. Yes, you are our official first repeat guest. And so I just want to take a second to recognize and say how much I appreciate your support and willingness to give us a little bit more time. Not at all. This is, uh, I like to be there as the, the early person. So now it's good. <laughs> all right. So for those who may not be aware, Robbie was one of our first guests on the show when we started this podcast about three years ago. So he's uh, affectionately what we refer to as a repeat friend, uh, meaning throughout his career, Robbie has actually brought value selling to several companies. So for context, I was just wondering, Robbie, if you would run down kind of your, your relationship with value selling as it's progressed through your career. Sure. I mean, it's really interesting for me. I mean, I first came across value selling when I was um, uh, running global sales, a company called Mercado. I think that was way back when in 2005. And then from there, I went to Omniture. And at Omniture, that's been around 2008. And we started defining various things. And every way I thought about you know, how I was going to look at the sales methodology, all my head kept coming back to the frameworks <laughs> around value selling. And so in the end, I got connected back with Rick, who's sort of been a stalwart for us all the way through the different companies. And we started to think about how we would leverage it there. And at that stage, Omnitra got acquired by Adobe. So, you know, this, I was really focused on how we were going to change that to Adobe. It was really their first experience of enterprise selling, weirdly enough. And this was to be in around 2009. And so we started introducing Rick in. We started leveraging it in the different organizations I was in um, in around 2012 when I ran, started up and running the strategic and verticals business at Adobe in North America. And as we progressed, it literally took such a firm hold in what we were doing. You know, we really leveraged it through North America and it then literally went global. And every aspect was tied to it from within you know, our CRM in terms of how we were thinking about our account planning, how we were thinking about our opportunity selection. And so when I then came um, around a year ago, the end of last year into Zora, it was one of, you know, it was an immediate, a no-brainer for me. The first thing I did was pick up the phone and say, Rick, okay, need you back in here. You know, we've got a global team here that needs to be introduced to it. And it, and it really, I think, Chad, to the point, you need to have a standard terminology and a standard language, and it's got to tie to the sales process, and it's got to be tied to the value we bring to our customers and our partners too. And from a SaaS perspective, an enterprise SaaS company, 
you need to be thinking and getting your head around your customers as much as your prospects. And it comes through your customers. And so that's why the value you bring is the most important word in my mind in the whole sort of uh, sales motion. Oh, absolutely. If, if we're not focused on what is bringing value, value to the individuals we're talking to, we're missing the mark, especially considering everybody today wants something that's focused on them, wants what they want, when they want it, how they want it, where they want it. If we don't have a buying motion or a selling motion that, that aligns with that, there's often a disconnect. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things out there. I'm, I'm not going to bash the competition, but I am curious to know, you know, of the, all the options that you chose, you, you could have chose, you chose value selling. And I'm curious what you found about it to be so compelling. I'll tell you what I found about it to be so, so compelling is that, first of all, there is a simplicity to the value prompter. There's a simplicity to the tools that you use. But within that, there is incredible depth. Right? There's definitely, it's not just, uh, oh, I learn it overnight and off I go. There is a lot of in, you know, depth that needs to be done around it. But some of the other ones are really, really complex in terms of the number of different tools or the number of different pieces, or they only get very operational. And to me, what I like about it, and it's always been my tort track to my sales organization, and actually, not just the sales organization, actually bring it into a personal aspect, which is you've got to look through the eyes of the person you're speaking to. And that doesn't just mean, it's like when they wake up in the morning, what is their thoughts? What are their goals? What's happening in their life? What are they thinking about? What is critical to them? Because if you can understand that, then you can start to make sure that what your commu the communication you have with them is tied into what they're thinking about, the terminology that they're going to use, the goals that they have for the day, the concerns that they have for the day, what they're doing in their work life, but how it's impacted from their personal aspects. And I think the value prompter really tunes into that. It's got all of the classic needs you have within a methodology but it also really tunes you into looking through the eyes of the person you're speaking to. And we all know that in sales and in any parts of life, if you can do that, then it really resonates. So, you know, to me, the other way you could say it is this, is it helps me to go from an inside out view. And I think many of the other ones can tend to be inside out. You know, our tech is the best. These are our functions and features, and this is why you should be buying us and everything else. But you need to go from an outside-in view. Like what does that company really need to do, right? And how are they going to measure the success of their company's goals and the objectives? Right at the very top, well, the CEO is telling the, the market if they're public or what you can really find out. And then ensuring for each person you're speaking to that they're understanding how they're going to impact that, that Uber business issue. So to me, it's like leading, talking in the right language in order to get to the power, right? Because when you do, when you speak about their business, you know, they want to listen. Right? But if you speak about your business, it's like, ah, oh, this is you know, another vendor. <laughs> so you turn that around is really important. So you know, getting in, differentiating it, tying it to what's really tangible value, how they're going to get measured, both as a company and even personally. You know, and then you can tie into the, the mutual plan. And then it takes you back again. It always re-sort of puts you back. You don't get too far into it that you don't go back to say, 
do I understand that issue? Do I understand what's important to them? Has it changed for them? And again, all of that comes back to being time bound. So, you know, for me, it's, it's really critical. And it's just, sort of, you know, some of the ways I would say, okay, this all sounds great, Robbie, but then what does it mean materially to you? And I think that for me, the, it really helps me in forecast certainty, right? And it's really helped me to, to do that. I think the closed plans become really material because they're really mutual and you're forcing it. And it's, you know, the biggest piece to me is how do I maximize the size of the deal? Not just because it's functions and features and that's how we measure it and these are our metrics, but how can I actually tie the share of wallet I get from the customer associated with the value that I'm going to bring to the customer? And I'll stop there, Chad, because I saw... I started getting going rolling. So oh, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. It is. You, you raise a good point, right? It, it isn't just about a sales conversation. The, the, the tools that we have a tendency to work with customers on work across the board to help someone consistently understand another person's perspective, which is why we have a tendency to train, you know, customer success teams and, and sales engineers and anything, any, any place along the revenue funnel where there has to be that consistent application of terminology and approach to consistently uncover and connect to another person's perspective. And forecast accuracy is always a big one for, for companies. That, that way the CFO doesn't hate the sales organization. The, the more precise we can be in our forecast, the better off the business is. But I'm curious, can you, when you think about, you know, Omniture, Adobe, and now Zora, can you share some of the results that you've seen? You know, what have the teams or, you, or yourself been able to accomplish by relying on the framework? Well, I think the, the, you know, one of the big pieces to me is also, you know, you get on, I'll start at the beginning of the journey. You get on various forecast calls and you may be saying, so what's going on here? And there's the normal fluff. Well, you know, we spoke to this person and, you know, they're just been on holiday over here. So by the time, and it's like, cut the fluff and let's get to the point of don't sell me on the deal, right? That's not mutually good for either of us. Help me to understand where you feel you've got holes in the opportunity so I can help you, right? So it takes it around for many methodologies are there because they think, oh, management needs the methodology so they can tick their boxes and do whatever else. I want to turn it around to being of value to the sales team as to how we can help them. So what it's ended up doing is turn a forecast call into sometimes being a fearful call to a valuable call to the field. And it sets them up with leaving with, that's a great idea. Why don't we go here? Or gosh, you had that experience before from some other part of the organization or whatever else. And so using the terminology keeps it to sing. So, you know, you know, I really understand the differentiated vision match. It's because this, this, and this is, that's great. But you know, I'm struggling to get to power over here. I know what the value is, but I don't know how to do it. Okay, let's, let's focus on that area. Or I can't determine, I can't get out of something which is really quantifiable about the business value we'll bring. Or the personal. So it allows you to focus on the areas, which means it cuts down the time on the, the whole forecast call. You know, how's this deal going? Instead of getting the sort of shaggy dog story, rather than that, what you do is you get to the point of, these are the areas that I need help with and focus. So that is a huge piece to it. It cuts down the time for everyone. You know, what I always talk about is sales calories, and you just don't want to burn sales calories in the wrong places. 
So you want to cut down the time, get them back in front of their customers, in front of their prospects, or in front of their partners. And so that does that. The other one has been my forecasting accuracy has been immeasurably better. Right? When you tie it into the various staging or some kind of a customer process that you're going through and you have that same language, everyone knows what it means. And it means, again, from we're looking at really enterprise deals, it takes a village. But if you have trained the SEs and you have trained the CSMs and even the, you know, the, the services teams, they understand it, everyone's talking the same language, so there's not miscommunication. People understand the strategy and the direction. So that's been a really important piece of it. I'd say the deal clinics and things like that, and when people are doing, when managers are doing their own reviews, again, we can actually get in front of it and do some pre-reviews so they actually get into that and they know where are the areas that we need to focus on. And it's tied to the same story, it's tied to the same terminology. So we just get so much more productivity of focusing in the right areas. And then I think going you know, all the way through, one of the challenges that's always there is you do all this amazing pre-sale work and you build ROIs and you, you really understand them and then you sell it and then it's like, now we're going to deliver it and everyone walks away. And you set expectations of what the value is and you need to carry that on. And so it's the challenge to make sure that you then don't just go and implement technology in a standard way, but you're doing it with a way that you're constantly saying, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. It wasn't the value that you were expecting to get. And just those little pieces means that you keep the attention of the customer and their team all the way through it. So when they come out at the end, you can start baselining against the value, which really honestly leads back in to an opportunity to come back to them again and say, well, we've achieved this value, great for retention, but now we think they trust you to say, okay, that's really well proven. I could show my own organization what I've done. Let's now look at the next thing. You become much more of a trusted partner by being able to show them that you've done what you said you would do. So those just just some of the uh, examples, Chad. That's brilliant. And so when you think about, you know, the other elements of it, there a lot of people will ask, you know, we get asked all the time, like, what's the standard kind of threshold for increase in deal size or margins or how fast, you know, how fast does it does it uh, increase the sales velocity or what about uh, win rates and things like that? Now, anybody wants to go back and look at the revenue increases of the other companies that you've been at could pretty much go back and say, you know, we can see it having that impact. I'm curious when when you see the reps and your managers using it and they turn around and go, Hey, wow, the light bulb just went on. Like I get it. Now I understand why we're doing it. What are they coming to you with and pointing to? Is it ease of use? Is it ease of communicating with a customer, maybe deal size or something like that? When you think about how it actually comes to life in your organization. So I would say the thing that when the light, that's a really good point, Chad, the light bulb going off and they go, I get it. I get it. (laughs) A long last. I see it. I'd say the first one is the win rate, right? And it also does lead you to qualify out early. So the win rate definitely has a significant impact. I think the four, I go back to the forecasting accuracy that they really know that side. The other one I would say is that you end up setting the, the, the ASV, so the setting value of the actual deal goes up significantly. And that's what I've seen because people stop selling just by pure price, but they're selling against the value that they can show. 
And so it means that the negotiations, we hold our price much, much better. We don't just get commoditized because every time they say, well, we're not going to pay that. We want an extra discount of X. You can say, yeah, but the problem with that is that the value associated with this, you agree with that. That's what you're trying to do. So it allows the negotiations for us to hold our price. That is the other one. And the other piece that I think is really is the time to close. So the time to close is vastly improved because you create the anxiety within them because you understand the value. You can start to articulate the, you know, every month that goes by, this is actually what it's going to be costing you, right? In terms of your vision or your strategy or the competition to come up or you're losing market share, whatever the business issue may be, you keep returning to that and it actually puts more emphasis on we've got to get through legal. We've got to get through the procurement side. Like we're wasting time on these pieces. So that's another one I would say is time to close. Love it. And when you think about the times that you've implemented the framework, if somebody were to ask you, some other CRO who's struggling right now or thinking about, man, I don't know if I can tackle this, what are the top three things you would say were key to your success in each, in each instance? So the first one I would say is it has to come from the top. Like as high as you can get it, right? Definitely has to come from the sales uh, or the CRO or however you're set up, but that has to come from the very top. That means they've got to, you've got to have the leader believing in it, asking about it, reinforcing it. And if you can, which I've had great success in doing, is get it all the way to the e-com, to your executive team, to your CEO, Right. So again, you know, that's something that we do. If we do a briefing for one of our executives, it's all in the value setting terminology. So they start to start asking about it. And then they start, you know, they also come up and the CEO says, but I don't understand the business value. And it's like that reinforces that it's not just a, you know, part of the story, but everyone is absorbing it. I think the other one is, again, where you make fluency for me is whenever I look at the sales process, whether you're using, you know, a sales force or whatever else, and you've got your stages defined and everything, the exit criteria for the stages is defined around your value setting motions. Or if you have a, a, a customer engagement process, again, those parts of it, value setting is weaved into it. So you're constantly using the language. And I think the third area that I've always done is not just make it on an island, right? So I've made sure that a product marketing organization or product management organization, let them have a taste, let them have some training, let them understand it. Because guess what? They're going to be producing the content that you're going to want to use in the field. They're going to be thinking now, not about the function features that they need to create, but what is the value those will create that the sales team can use? So we've, I've always had literally the, the product management team, they went like around three or four months of Zora, they just went through the training. Uh, product marketing, so that when they produce the content, it almost aligns to the value prompter concept. So it makes it easier and more fluid for the sales team to be able to leverage it. Even marketing, alliances, and the other big one, customer success. Again, such a critical piece, especially in the SaaS world, right? Because people can, you know, multi-tenant cloud-based solution, you know, can they, you know, retention is critical. It's based on the value you bring. And so again, having those value discussions naturally leads into a renewal, naturally leads into the next upsell. And so 
you know, we've done that. And, the, you know, the best people at it, so are your SDRs, uh, yeah. right? The people, you're, you're, they're doing that. And honestly, they've always been the best because they come in typically, they're slightly more junior. They come in cleaner. They get it. They get it so much quicker than the sales team, than the AEs often do. And for them, again, it's a huge career and learning piece. Right? You're training them on a way of thinking Wherever they go, whether it's within your own business or elsewhere, it's a great selling piece. Like we're investing in you. So those are the three. I think it's got to come from the top. I think it's got to be absolutely fluidly part of your sales process, every single part of that in terms of the language. And it's got to tie into the other functions around you so that everyone is thinking in that way. You've got to go all in. Yeah, yeah either get in or get out. Yeah, perfect. And so... We're in a very unusual time uh, right now. The world is kind of upside down uh, with the pandemic and things that the impacts that that's having on business. I know in March, we reinvested in, in redesigning all of our virtual training from the ground up to use the latest and greatest. And I know Rick has been working with you to do some of these trainings in a virtual environment. I'm curious how the teams responded to them or, or kind of your, I mean, I would, I'm with you. I think we would all love to be doing this in person, but have you seen the team still respond positively, seen the kind of impacts you would expect from that continued virtual engagement? Well, first off, like hats off to you guys, because you really were like, you reacted so quickly to the change in the environment. And I think a lot of sales organizations have not reacted. They still get on a on a call and do a, you know, a PowerPoint presentation on a one hour call. And you just, I've sat there and I just watch all the videos go off. And then, you know, you're learning how to get, you know, oh, excuse me, what do you think of that? And you have to call people out. So you've got to change it into shorter snippets and keep people's attention and stop them doing the multitasking that we're all drawn into doing in these, these sort of virtual worlds. So no one, the speed you did, it was really good. The, 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 also the, ability to keep reinforcing it so that's what i really liked about you know when i worked with your, your you guys is it's not just the one-off training it's the willingness to come back in and say you know honestly you're, you're like customer success people you come in and you reinforce because the more we use it the more we success we get out of it guess what the more we come back to do more training with you and I think you do a really good job of it. Like you're constantly coming back in, doing this thing into deal reviews, reminding people of that. And in this virtual world, this is something that you can do even more so, right? Because people aren't on the road as much. They haven't got excuses of I'm in you know, this and this and I'll be traveling and whatever else. So that's been good. And then the last piece to it is you always still focus on making sure you teach, you know, train the trainer. And uh, well, not train the trainer, but teach the managers how to do this. So I think the tool has adapted to the online world incredibly well. You know, there is some, there were some pieces that we, we all missed, right? The human interaction, we all miss. Sure. And um, so, you know, we're never going to get away from that. But in terms of how we adapt to it, I think you've done an amazing job. And you, you hit on a key component there, the managers, right? We, we have a tendency, and I'm sure you've heard Rick or even myself say, if we're not going to be working with the managers to help drive that adoption and retention, then, then we know it's not going to be as successful as it could be. You mentioned starting at the top, but I'm curious, even as we've gone into a virtual world and, and, and we're really relying even more so on the managers, how have you been working with them or enabling them or supporting them in this virtual world to ensure they continue to apply the things that they've been taught? So what we've done is we do two things. One is we do uh, deal clinics, 
right? So that is, we will literally have the ecosystem around the deal. So I've, I've always organized my teams in what we, I, in this place, we call them pods, right? So everyone who is going to be working in the sales process or even the post-sale are focused in pods around the customer. So that when we do a deal review, we have that whole pod on it. And that means the managers, and I will often get involved, partly because it's my favorite part of my job, <laughs> and I miss it if I don't. But it's also the piece where you really get to get the feeling for it, and you can brainstorm that around. But we do it with the value-setting model in place. So all of the, the way that they'll present it to us will be through the value prompter. If they've got to go into depth around it, it'll still be defined around those different areas. So we've kept them involved in that. And then the second part of it is we do what we call renewal rallies, right? Which is looking at our customer base. And we look out at least a year ahead to all of our renewals because a renewal is the most compelling time to actually be able to do it. You know, it's the one time, you know, you have timing in place to be able to do a deal. And so we make sure that we're reviewing those. And again, a lot of it is making sure they're using the language, using the terminology to do it. And again, it's, it's a nonstop. You have to keep reinforcing because you've got new people coming in and they've got to hear it and hear it and hear it. And like anything else, it takes repetition and consistency to make sure that it soaks in. And to begin with, it's always really difficult for them, right? It's the, you know, that, you know, you get to this, you go through the motion, right? You go through this sort of, understanding where you're unconsciously incompetent you've not had the training you get to the place where you start to realize well there is this conscious incompetence you get to the stage after that where you get to conscious competence where it's still really hard you've still got to go through what is the value what is the problem what is the solution and then you get to that unconscious competence where it doesn't seem laborious. It doesn't seem to take all the time in the world. It's not perceived as a management overhead. And it's just the way they're doing it. And they get really excited. Everyone's using the same terminology. Everyone understands what they mean. Everyone challenges each other around it. That's where you want to get to because that also becomes fun. And that's what really motivates the people. Yeah. And it's the fun element that we, that I personally, and I know Rick as well, enjoy seeing as people have that, you know, that light bulb moment, they see it have an impact for them on their deals or in the way they interact with other people on the team. And they see the efficiency that the team can, can gain by all sharing that same language and being able to focus in a very consistent way on that, on that value that you're providing to the, the prospect or the buyer. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, I mean, because we're talking, what, four companies now that you've implemented value selling, I think. So I'd be remiss right. if I didn't ask, what, what keeps you coming back? Aside from Rick's good looks, what keeps, what keeps you coming back? I think one thing is, it is the passion and the belief is there, right? It comes from you. It comes from Rick. Right. He, you know, people can get, they, they, they're like, well, and I said, I want you to get Rick to come onto a, a call about a deal. And they go, look, we, you know, Zora, it's about, you know, what we're doing here. And he doesn't understand that side of it. And so I said, get him on the deal. And he comes in and literally they just get so much value because the questions that he asks makes them think about it in a different way. So the passion and the belief is there because I he can get on any call. It doesn't matter. I can come in and I can add value. Right. I think the other one is to me, it's a framework that is easy. 
I can see the framework in my head during a conversation. I can, you know, go backwards and forwards, but I can check it. It's, it's got a simplicity to it, but as I said, a depth to it. You know, the better and better you get at it, you can get more and more skills that you will create and best practices around it, right? But it takes that element out of it. You know, you know business issue is an example. I would say the business issue is the one that I always find people have the biggest challenge with, right? They really find it hard to say, oh, because they need to upgrade. Oh, because it's like, no, no, that's not the business issue. And I think that training them on that, that is a light bulb moment. When they understand the business issue and then they can apply everything they're thinking to that, it starts to become really easy. I also like the way you guys do the training. You gamify it. And so people do go in there and they do have fun with it. It doesn't feel like it's laborious. It doesn't feel like I have to go and do all these things. So there's, again, it's that mixture of simplicity at the top, but huge depth when you really get going with it. And I think the other one is when I go in, you know, whether it's at a, you know, Adobe or, or wherever it is, there is credibility that it just makes damn good sense. Right. Right, once you explain it, it's like, why wouldn't you think like that? Why wouldn't you approach it like that? And it's not like some of the more simplistic ones that you can get into. They just are very operational. They don't have the depth. They're very surface level. On the other ones that you can get into, they're so deep and laborious in terms of what you need to complete that you start to lose the reasons to why you're doing it. And I think it sits really well between easy to comprehend, but with the depth that goes with it. And the other piece that I really like is you make it very relevant when you're doing the training, leveraging use cases, you know, examples that really resonate and challenges that make you say, well, why would you think of it like this? Why can't you just slightly twist it into the thinking of it like this? And then again, it's another release moment when they go, ah, oh, I get it, I get it. So those are some of the reasons why I keep coming back to it. And, and the way also it fits, you know, if you went and said to, to someone in, in outside of sales, hey, I want you to look at this methodology that, you know, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. I'm not doing that. But when you say, here's this simplicity, they go, okay, I get that. Now they may be looking at it still to a surface level, but it's good enough because the terminology makes sense and is easy to replicate. So that's a big part of it. Perfect. And so let's talk about Zora for a second for our audience. Help us understand what, what Zora does and who you guys are targeting and selling to out there. Well, it's, it's really, it's just, it's just been super exciting. It took an awful lot to take me from the clutches of Adobe, you know, <laughs> which I absolutely loved. But I think that the Zora, what's, what Zora does, Zora provides a SaaS solution for subscription management billing and also for revenue, for subscription management and billing and revenue automation. And you think, oh, what's, what's that about? And it's like the, the fact of why it's exciting is because it impacts the customer experience, especially for companies who are trying to think about how do I get into a recurring revenue business model, right? So many companies are now wish they had a recurring revenue business model, especially in this climate. Right, because people have Absolutely. signed up, they're on a subscription, they're doing that. And so it's not just the, the finance aspect, but it is a tool that allows you to think about, well, how do I upsell people? So what are the motions? What's the experience I have? And the most important experience for anyone, 
any of the, our customers' customers is when they have to part with their money or they've <laughs> got to make a decision to spend more money. And this is where you've got to have the best experience. And so you need something that has real agility. Now, a lot of our customers, I can, can name some of these, like the sort of the Zooms or the DocuSigns, or you can think about Fender, the guitar company. Like when, when the whole COVID situation happened, they had to change, right? Or they had to really rapidly be able to say, hey, I need to now change my pricing. Maybe what I need to do to retain everyone is allow them to have a certain period at no cost or let them have further access. Or I'm going to, you know, allow them to do changes. Really, you need that to happen with real agility. So it doesn't mean IT goes to recode. They've got to really do that with absolute ease. And our customers could do that, and they retain their customers, their customers very, very well through doing that. It needs to be automated, so it doesn't become this whole sort of, you know, if I go into a typical other an ERP or a CRM, it can be really manual, right? It's hard coded. I've got to get IT in. IT's got to do old change requests. <laughs> so you need to have a tool that's really focused on the concept of subscription. And what I loved about it is that we're subscription to us in a data model is defined around a customer, not around a product. And if you think about how people have always billed normally, it's based around the product. This is based around the customer. So the last piece to it is you can think about the insights that can come out. I start to know when someone might be trending towards a churn. I know when someone's trending towards an upsell. So the ROI around it becomes really significant. And it is a transformation tool. People, if you're a manufacturer who's one of our key markets, you're not used to selling direct to your, you know, direct to consumer. So how do you change that mentality? How do you change the way you think about the offerings? Because it goes from what is really something which is an ownership, as in I own a product, I own a physical object, to actually use a ship. And so it's that journey to use a ship. And the whole story around usership is different to ownership. And that is where people are going. That is where our kids are going. That's where our kids' kids will be going. They don't want to own things. They want to be able to use things when they want to. So you need to have a different angle mentality on doing that. So manufacturing is big for us. Media is very big for us. Technology is where we come from, right, in terms of the tech, because all the SaaS companies are doing it. But what we're seeing is a ton of other use cases into retail, into financial services, into the most unbelievable bull bearings to all sorts of things where people are turning them around to be something where people can just pay for using them not having to own them. So yeah. again, for us, and it's, it's a big piece, selling into the CFO, the, the CO, but also more and more into the business and the CRO, as an example, is they, use, they look for new markets that they can with agility get into. Yeah. And that focus, I like that subtle shift of it's about the customer, right? And I think that's why the value selling framework aligns so well, because that's also what we're focused on. But that subtle shift of thinking into that subscription economy, I think is going to be great. I think you're positioned amazingly well. Uh, I am a stock owner, by the way, but I'm just saying, so I'm um, sure. going to make sure you guys are as successful as possible. And so I want to be respectful of time. Uh, we, you remember this from last time we ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply 
as a CRO, that makes you a prospect for a lot of individuals out there. Always curious to know if somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, what works for you to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar to talk to you about potential ways they may be able to help you? It has to be, to me, it has to be a message that comes from the fact that they've actually done some research. And it's just not a canned thing that comes out. It has to appeal to me. And then it has to have some kind of resonance with the goals of the situation that I'm in. And the more that they've done some research where they can tie to some things, the more intrigued I'm going to be as to what it is that they have. And when it comes out in that way, that's interesting. But if it's purely canned, bang, in the trash. <laughs> right? So it's, it's really, really easy. So, And I think the other one is, a little bit of persistence, not annoying, but a little bit of persistence, which is, again, I understand who you are, and I've asked you about this. Why won't you respond to me? That's, a, that's, that's good. I don't mind a bit of squeakiness in there. You know, I don't find that, I find that good and I, you know, commendable but obviously not too much. So a bit of reasonable persistence. Love it. And so our last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales or professional services people, one piece of advice you could give them that you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Well, apart from the obvious one, which is you'll make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I think that the, the biggest piece is, I think it's the, the give them the ability to say consistency with the ability for creativity. Oh, I like right? that. So you, you have to get to a place where they understand there's an operational aspect to it. There's a defined process. But the quicker you adopt it, the quicker it becomes what I call that unconscious competence. Right? You just don't even, it doesn't take time anymore because that's how you're thinking. And you've got to be really dogmatic about that. On the other hand, really, I want to encourage people to take risks. Like go out of the box, right? So if you're used to process, all those complaints go away. Like hygiene, data hygiene. How many times do we all say, oh, like if you don't have good data hygiene, I don't think you're credible. and I'm going to have to investigate your data. Right. I don't want to spend my time doing that, right? You don't want me to spend your time doing that. So get it right. And once you get it right, we can move on to the good bits, right? So for, for every ask, make sure, uh, look, you know where it's going to impact them. So I'm on come back to my sales calories. Like I'm asking you to do this because it's going to give you time back. It's going to give you some personal productivity gain. And it's important. So when I put something out there, I will always show them this is why it's needed, but this is what you're going to get in return. It's not just for my satisfaction and my reporting. I love it. Robbie, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show today. If people are interested in learning more about Zora, is website the best place to go or someplace else you want us to send them? Well, absolutely. Our website, or if they want to get in touch with me, you know, voracious user of LinkedIn and uh, always happy to then answer people's questions and so on. Awesome. Thank you again for taking the time. Really appreciate you carving some out for us. No, right, Chad, as always, a real delight. Thank you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Let your kids listen to it instead of watching screens. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.